0: everybody we're gonna get started here thank you all for, uh, for for coming and staying with us excited for this conversation with uh, with Patrick Reggie uh, and Andrew so you guys know we'll probably open things up to questions with about 15 minutes left so if you've got stuff you want to ask uh, by all means go ahead uh, and I want to start Reggie I'm gonna pump your tires here for a second uh, a couple weeks ago the NFL PA release the results of a a league-wide player survey evaluating every team on a number of different criteria. I personally feel like adults should never get report cards, (laughs) but uh, if you're gonna get them, you might as well do well on them. The the Los Angeles Rams, an A-plus for training staff and an A-plus for strength staff. Congratulations. Uh, And my question, there are teams, I won't name them, that, that got Fs in some of those categories. It does not correlate directly to standings. But, but how much competitive advantage is there right now in, in, at this level of sports doing the things that you're doing?
1: Um, well, pre- appreciate that. Um, I would say, I always say availability is winnability. Um, you, you can't win football games in NFL if you're not available. Um, so it's important for us to make sure our players are available. Not just available on Sundays, but available at an optimal level. Uh, You know, it's hard for these guys to go out there, 17 games, many car crashes every day as you guys can imagine, Uh, for these guys to feel good through 17 weeks. So it's important that we create the best environment for that. Uh, so we take pride in that, and so to answer your question, there's there's definitely some edge to when you can have Aaron Donald out there versus him missing four games, and so it's it's very important for our game.
0: And, and how much variability do you think there is across the league? I mean, is there, it's a copycat league, obviously, people are always looking for advantages. How different do you think it is team by team right now in, in some of the fa- sleep, mental health, nutrition, all those things?
1: Yeah, great question. It's when you're doing an elite level like we're talking about, it's percentages. It's 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 you know one percent difference can make a big difference. So, I think you have what's great about our profession is I think there's a lot of well done performance departments that really optimize the environment very well. So I think that is a good thing for our sport and elite sports. But uh, it's not. you I mean, you got some differences here and there, but at the end of the day, it's pretty it's pretty tight.
0: Patrick Andrew, I want to hear about the the pitch that you guys give to athletes that you're working with, either on the sleep side or the nutrition side. About hey, l- listen, this is what we can do for you on the field, on the ice, on the court, if you pay attention to these things more
2: specifically. Well, and I'll jump in and pick up what Reggie was saying. Because yes, you've got you know, the top tier professional sports league in North America. And they're all looking to win. They're all looking to those things, just like athletes. So there are differences. like. From our standpoint, Sleep Number, we are an NFL partner, and we're a partner of four teams. And there's a reason why we're a partner with Reggie Scott and the LA Rams. It's because they are that group taking it to the next level, understanding those things, and the systematic approach to do that. Because people know that all of us here, we sleep. We all know that to reach our full potential, we need to maximize that. Very few of us in here know what to do about it, right? And that's what, you know, as we partner with organizations like the Rams is working together to figure that out. Because again, if you're that top tier athlete, I always say this story, coming out of Alabama. You know, you've been that level your whole life, you're all of a sudden lining across the line from somebody else who's as good or better than you. So what are you doing to do that next level? And sleep is that one on one of those untapped things you need to be doing, you're going to be at a disadvantage. And that's where, you know, we see our opportunity to come up and be there both on uh, expertise and tech level to help them provide those insights and what to do about it.
3: And from where, hi everybody, welcome. Uh, just to, to give you a piece of information, because you all know about Sleep Number, but the reason that I'm here is that I co-own a company called KZ Provisioning, and we have perfected a, what we believe is the ultimate food model for the professional athlete, uh, or the college athlete, if uh, collegiate, collegiate athletic departments choose to, uh, you know, get into bed with us. See what I did there? Um, but but. You are what you eat, and obviously it makes sense to everybody here who has ever had too much to eat at lunch of the wrong food and gone back to whatever work you do and said, boy, I really feel like a nap. I I, I think what, what you said about availability, I mean, we eat multiple meals a day and athletes have to increase, especially when they are training, especially practice, especially after games. Um, they have to be eating the right food, not only to optimize gameplay, but to op- optimize recovery time when it comes to injury, to optimize their availability to be at their best the next day at practice, and that, incu- that includes mental acuity, that includes getting the best rest, and, and food has been the unspoken dirty word in professional athletics for a long time much shockingly fewer teams than than you think actually take the food component really seriously. So we have perfected what we believe is a really great food, wellness, and hospitality model because when you're taking care of the family, the player is a lot happier. Um, When you're taking care of management, when everybody is in the boat rowing together and it's not us and them, it's everyone, uh, we find that really helps with a lot of, of, of team sports um and uh we're now finally rolling out nationally which is really exciting um we have found that you know it's i've got my eat kelp hat you know it's it's no secret that eating seaweed is uh, provides you with a lot more glucosamine chondroitin helps with you know your muscles your tendons there are ways to eat your way to much better performance and it's quantifiable
0: andrew i've been in austin for three days i've had about a hundred tacos. I've had three pounds of brisket. Patrick, I've slept maybe four hours a night. Should I? Uh, should I be running a marathon later today? You <laughs> <So, laughs> can run it.
2: You can run it. You're not you're just not going to do that well. Wow. Yeah, I, I
1: have low expectations for you right now. <laughs> well, I want to add something too, that. I think is a good point they both made. It's funny people talk about how we stay on the cutting edge of, of performance in our in our world, and these guys come with so many different uh, modalities, different techniques, different recovery strategies. And the top two recovery strategies and what I call pre-activation strategies that you can use and have is sleep and food. It's something that simple. Uh, and most of those guys don't do that well. And it's like, hey, if we could correct something that's very simple in terms of your activities of daily living, we elitely get you better. Um, so you can come here with this little cool little gizmo that, hey, if I put this red light on me for the next two hours, I'm going to recover better. How are you sleeping? Well, I slept like crap last night. Um, it's amazing. So, you know, credit to Sleep Number and our partnership with them that we really strategize that. And you'd be surprised with, um, with the athletes, you know, their, their diets are just not well. They got away with eating McDonald's and still running four twos and four threes, and those days catch up to you. So those two things are really critical for us, for the success of our athletes, and just start there, and it's amazing how much better we get.
0: Andrew, you had an aha moment in Minnesota a number of years ago that, helped, that launched your business. Walk us through what that was. I think it's a good story.
3: Well, I walked, my partner and I, we, we, uh, he owns a couple of restaurants. I, I'm on his board of directors. I own a bunch of restaurants. We own a lot of food stuff around the country together. We're in a couple of businesses together. And, you know, the athletes would come and frequent our establishments, and they lived in our neighborhoods, and we knew them and their families. And uh, you know, they're like, oh, come down to the, you know, to the locker room after the game. We go down there and there's a, a table like this right outside the changing room, actually several tables, and we see the team managers coming in with these oversized brown pick paper bags and they are stacking, by the way, this is six years ago, they are stacking styrofoam boxes. They had basically gone on like DoorDash version 1.0 and ordered like 12 of everything from every place that was serving after 10 o'clock at night. And so the, the players are eating burgers and pizza and chicken and stuff like that, and if you've ever uh, experienced post-game or post-practice eating, uh, and in this case it was men, these men were hungry. I mean, they're really hungry. And culturally, we had an issue as well. We had a lot of first, second, and third year players from Eastern Europe, from Russia, and they're opening up boxes of food that they don't understand or know right? And so you can see them gravitate towards the things that they understand, like pasta, like pizza, and they're really, really hungry. And when you overload with that, you are not available then to get on the team plane, experience that level of dehydration of traveling across the country to then play in, you know, Anaheim the next night, right? It just doesn't work, and performance sinks. So that really got us on the road to establish KZ provisioning. It started with the wild, then the Timberwolves caught wind of it, then it worked so well for the wolves, the lynx uh, uh, took us on, and uh, the, the, the rest is kind of history. It It, it is, I, I will say, it's, it's amazing to me how the, the, once you get an athlete to understand that we can add a year onto their lifespan at, at peak or near peak performance, help them recover from injury, so many players, and, and I know you can probably speak to this, go out onto the field, or court, or ice, or whatever it is that they play, Um, at 80 or 90% when they could be a couple percentage points higher and if a game is decided by a point or two or a play as we're talking about in upstairs in the in the room um, That's the difference between playoffs or not playoffs right? I mean it really comes down to seconds and inches
0: and you can improve your world with food and sleep. Patrick, I mean, on the sleep point, what's the sleep equivalent of that? The layman in my brain, obviously, I think most athletes are probably undersleeved, but it's probably, I'm sure, way more complicated than that in terms yeah, of well, we, what the unsophisticated are doing and what they're doing. Yeah, now.
2: The great thing for us is that, you know, five or six years ago, we decided to be in sport because we saw the opportunity, because you saw this enlightening that this is an element that has been underserved, right? And we looked at a lot of different organizations, and our path led us to the NFL. Uh, for a lot of reasons, one, they really wanted to embrace this as a part of health, safety, and performance. And then two, our story has to be authentic. We truly want to help. We didn't want to put something. We're just putting a logo on it and say we're doing something. NFL players sleep in their own bed six nights a week, so they see the benefit of what they're doing, sleeping on our product, and getting the information and insights from it. You know, like great conversations with a lot of different teams across their sports. But if you're traveling over the half the time, we couldn't really affect that, right? And you know, it came down to that opportunity, and then the ability, you know, with Reggie and his his uh, counterparts, that really embraced it, right? So, you know, from five years ago, we started partnering with the Professional Football Athletic Trainers, which Reggie's a part of, and we knew for us to be successful and create motivation and adoption is to get with those guys and women that are in the locker room, having those conversations one-on-one with the players, and it's been you know, I'm excited wildly successful. We have 80% of the NFL players, so it's over 2,200 guys, on a sleep number smart bed because they realize what it's gonna do for them, right? Because it, it gets down to education and motivation, right? And, you know, Reggie will say this, is like, it has to be something that you're not completely changing their habit. And that's what we try to do, is give them something that they can do, they can go to bed, they don't need to wear something, they don't need to charge something, they actually don't need to pay attention to it on a nightly basis, but they're going to have longitudinal data that tells them how they're sleeping and they compare it to other pieces in their performance, right? We, we, we have to
3: make them wear something. Uh, we, we've, done the, we've done the same thing. We've partnered with uh, nutritional and strength coaches uh, and other t- members of the training staff at all the teams, and we're in Minnesota, so of course, with the Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic. Helped us devise a custom, what's essentially a customized Fitbit, so that we know when a when a player comes in uh, to practice in the morning to the team facility, they're greeted with an incredible breakfast. They're they're greeted with you know, nutr- nutraceutically balanced food, often customized for a given player because our point guards on the Timberwolves have a different um, uh, metabolism that than Carl Anthony Towns does. And so we have to customize food plans for them, which is great, they can all eat 70% of the same thing, but then we customize it. But the data that we're able to pull off there, and, and, and not in a shaming way to say, hey, you had four quarts of ice cream last night and we can tell, because look at your sugar levels. Uh, or was it cookies? Um, but we can actually then help them To adapt the strategies that we are recommending because we know if you eat that at night when you go out you are not going to be at peak performance and the data on the court that all of the coaching staff and their assistants accumulate shows that they're not at average they're not at peak whereas we can look back a week earlier and say you see when you didn't eat that ice cream right you had three more rebounds and two more assists and you're able to participate in drills for 15 minutes longer that has extreme value uh, to the team
0: I actually want to drill into that a little bit more. I, personally, I'm a, I'm a triathlete, endurance triathlete, and an ultramarathoner. I've personally dove into a lot of the, some of the things probably way less so than what you're doing with professional athletes. One of the things that stuck out to me when I did it for myself was how bad alcohol is for sleep. It was appalling to me how much, if I had a single beer an hour before I went to bed, that there was a material difference in my sleep. Uh, I imagine if you tell an athlete that he shouldn't be drinking, um, a lot of them are gonna gonna bristle at that. How do you balance knowing that you're not gonna get 100% adoption for the things that are healthy with trying to make sure that they are understanding and, and taking into account a lot of these things more often than they probably would have before?
3: Well, for us, it, it, it usually takes, uh, I mean look, we have some early adopters that just get it right away. I mean, right away. Then we have other players, uh, both on the ice and on the court, where it's taken us a, a, a complete season and into the next one to get them to uh, adopt, you know, 95%, you know, I'm not sure anyone does it uh, 100% of the time, and we say, look, have your cheat day, right? Uh, but make sure you don't have a game the next day right i mean it's 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 unreasonable to ask anyone uh to do something 100 percent of the time however once we get them for a year and then actually show them data and tie it to contract cycle and tie it to what their goals are and we've had a chance to work on them on the emotional wellness and the mental health aspect of it um that's what usually pulls people across the line Uh, at the end. And once they've tried it a couple times, and, and I'm sure you've experienced it, I mean, we all experience it in our daily lives. Eat too much of the wrong stuff at lunch, you're tired afterwards. I mean, it's just, its the data is right there for you. It just takes a while to change human behavior. We have a behavioral scientist that we work with, and one of the leading experts in the country, and they said that the number one determinant of human behavior is trustworthiness, right? So, with something like Sleep Number, and I, I have no business relationship, we're, we're friends in full disclosure, but no business relationship, but, but when I hear the data from Sleep Number and I hear the pitch from them, I trust it, right? We've just met each other, but when someone with this much expertise tells me I, w- I might wanna start doing X instead of doing Y, I trust that, and then the human behavior part comes. We have to, we have to instill trust in the player, now, after four or five seasons with these teams, the, the veterans are telling the young guys, hey, you gotta listen to these dudes because they know what they're talking about. I'm sure it's similar.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, um, where what we see is it's education and motivation and then the data and insights gives a consequence, right? So. We're not to say, hey, I was out to dinner last night with some of our friends from the Rams, and it was we we're joking, like somebody was having a, a cappuccino martini. and I'm like, oh, for two, like these are both things caffeine and <laughs> alcohol. So you do it, and again, it's not to shame, but you can see in your sleep data how that affects your sleep, and then you can make choices. Like I know it; I still had a heavy meal at 11:30 at night, right? And you make those choices. But it's really, if you've educated, and the player's motivated, and they have that data, it's what they do about it. Because really, for us, it's about, there's a lot of way to get data. Everybody here has something on your wrist that's giving you data. So data itself is not the end, right? It's, there's, you could have a ring. You have something else that's giving you data. It's like, one, is it accurate? Because accuracy matters, right? And then, two, is it longitudinal? That's where we come into play. Like, One, we we have the accuracy through the sleep lab testing. And then because it's nothing to wear, turn on, we've got data across five years of NFL players of what that does, right? And that only happens with trust and partnership. You know, between Reggie and the Rams, we have partners from the NFL PA here. Like, you have to build that. And once the players know it, then they believe in the accuracy. But, you know, where we get down to, and that's where we have partnered with the athletic trainers, is, like, we go to Reggie and his team because they're the ones that know the athletes and know the conversations. We provide an
3: element of hospitality in the, within the team itself because it's a little different with food. right? We're around them for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And I think the last thing that I would want to add to the conversation that we've not talked about is joy and happiness. Um, when, when you get a good night's sleep, if you've been sleeping on an uncomfortable mattress, or I mean, I hate to be a sleep number commercial, but it's like, when you have a good night's sleep, you wake up and you're like, holy crap, what have I been doing? Like, I feel great. And it's the same thing when we put a bowl of food in front of them and we say, and, and, they, and the player looks at us and says, that's the best thing I've eaten in six months. And we look at them and say, you can have seconds and thirds of that because it's balanced and it's good for you. And they look at us and they say, you're crazy. You mean, I can't have one bowl of that, but I can have as much of this as I want. And we're like, yep. And that is a mix of ancient grains in some cases instead of just you know, a, a big bowl of rigatoni and cheese sauce. And I think deliciousness, craveability, and pleasure, leaning's the pleasure part of it. Life should be fun. Sleeping should be rewarding. Food should be delicious and nutritional. And when you tie those things together around the happiness and joy quotient, then it's really a win-win-win.
1: Real quick too, I think what they said is some great stuff. I think this, this analytics data, we all have been talking about this. We measure everything with our athletes now. Everything. So think about my world, and a lot of you colleagues out there that are in the world of, of measuring, uh, or you're an athlete that, or you're you know, you're a consumer that likes to measure everything, like uh, Evan said here, in terms of just your daily rhythm, you. what do we do with this world of analytics? And I think it's really important, to, number one, that it does not replace your intuition, it does not replace, what I say, your gut. Number one, it doesn't replace people, especially in our world. Uh, we can biohack, but it doesn't replace you. So you know, people say we're in this data-driven world in terms of sports performance and stuff. Like, I would say it's data-enhancing. It allows us to make more precision, actionable change. But I love what Andrew said. It starts, number one, with developing relationships with people, two, it takes time for behavioral change. It takes about three to four years for athletes, is what we average. But what does the data do? The data allows us to have a more precision approach on our actionable change. But if you want these guys to buy in the data, if you want this world to buy in the data, you gotta have an actionable change engine and, and an intentful use of the data, and the player has to receive that change. Because that's the ultimate goal. It's funny how we just drive data, we look at data, and we're not making actionable changes. I.e., a guy drinks a little bit at night, he looks at his sleep number, and he's sleeping four or five hours. Okay, I showed them that data, but what are you gonna do about it now? We have to make some type of change, and they have to see the fruit of that, and then you start getting behavioral change. And I think what's cool with that is, that's where the data can help you. But if you're just chasing numbers, and, and, and trust me, it gets tough with our athletes, is we're asking them to capture all this data um, and sometimes I'll say, what are we doing with it? If I can't prove that we're being intentful about increasing the performance and optimizing them every day. It's useless. So um, very, very important because I think we're measuring everything in the world right now.
0: Reggie, how do the Rams think about... The, the privacy and, and ownership of, of that data. If, if I'm a Rams player, I obviously want to work with you to, to optimize everything I'm doing, right? But I maybe don't want you to know that I was out at, at 3 a.m. last night, right, which you can probably tell depending on what, what you're tracking and, and contract negotiations or thinking about long-term health and things like that. How does a team with its, its athletes work on making sure you're using the data for these things and maybe not those things? How does that balance work?
1: Yeah, um, n- number one, you know, we do have a CBA agreement with the NFLPA and NFL, and there is a lot of protection of the athletes rights, you know, we cannot technically, you know, do anything in terms of having data to see if they were at home on a Saturday night, stuff yeah. like that. So then that's good, because we do got to protect the athlete from that perspective. But it goes back to why are we tracking the data? And it goes back to education. We have to educate the players on why we're doing it and why it's going to enhance their performance. And if you can do that and set that environment, typically they'll buy into it. If not, they won't. And it's their choice. Like if we, don't, if we don't give them a good education and teach them why we're doing things, they will not do it. Um, and they don't have to. So it just starts with education. It starts with a good environment of trust. And then once we show them that we can make actionable change off of it, it, usually.
2: And the other yeah. piece we can them to is trust, right? Yeah. Because you have to trust it. We have Sleep Number with you know the NFL athletes we have. We've got data on the most intimate part of their lives. This isn't about a chip in their shoulder pad saying how fast they're running or how far fast the ball is going on a spin. We do have data, there is sleep data, uh, on how long they slept when they went to bed and things like that. But that is a trust thing we built, and again, with the PA, with the teams, with the players, right? Because no, nobody wants to use that data for the wrong reasons, right? But it's highly, highly confidential, and we treat it that way. Our, our teams do the same thing uh, with the with the wrist
3: reader I'll just call it that since it's a customized device um, but I, I, I do think that the the, the unspoken word here is the, is the hospitable nature of it that trust piece and how far you're willing to go for your players so one of the ways that we earn trust with some players is um, we, we have a, a big star in our team who was born, raised, and played college in a, in a southern state on the, uh, the Timberwolves. And he had, as a uh, first and second year player, he had a real struggle adapting uh, some of the food changes that we were making. Um, and so, unbeknownst to him, as a surprise, we flew his mother uh, up to uh, the training facility. And we worked with her for two days... Uh, On taking some of her recipes that that he loved the most and transferring some of them because we couldn't do it with all of them (laughs) (laughs) but with some of them to give give that athlete that flavor and that taste of home and then we surprised him with it and he saw it on the plate and kind of freaked out like oh my god this is my favorite thing we tweaked it a little and but he got all of the flavor and all of the comfort from that and then kind of candid camera we brought mom out right well, that simple act of a plane ticket and investing a couple days with his mother, he is now the most vocal advocate in the locker room for what we're trying to do. So you can earn trust through that data and through that wristlet, and, but we don't lowjack anyone. We find it much, much easier if we actually use a, a moral suasion of a different kind. And sometimes that's mom. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, in that digital world of data. Sometimes the analog version of working with an athlete
0: it works best, and that's that hospitable touch. Remind me to shoot you my mom's lasagna recipe after this.
1: A real common theme, I think you hear all the time up here, I, I can hear it and I, I feel it both Andrew and, and Patrick, Coach McVay always says this, we, we compete with our schemes but we win with our people. Um, we're about people. This is a people business. Sports is about humans. I think sometimes we get caught up in human doing, and we forget that they're human beings. Um, so it, it's exactly right. As we get more in these subspecialties, as we get more in these analytics and technology, we cannot lose the sight of the humans. Uh, and if you just talk to them like they're humans and treat them like they're humans and care about them because we do care about them, uh, that'll go farther than any any data you can give them.
0: So let's shift actually to, to going from athletes getting them to adopt things to the opposite, getting them to ease off a little bit. I don't know if any of you were in the room, the panel before this, but Apollo Ono was on stage, former Olympic medal uh, speed skater. He said that he was overtrained for 80% of his career as a speed skater, and, and one of the reasons was that the people who were training him they became speed skaters and trainers in a different era, and they were like, this is how it works, it's how we've always been done it, and and people win medals this way. Uh, I imagine that number doesn't surprise you, uh, but I am curious if you think that uh, uh, the equivalent of an Apollo Ono today would look back eventually and think that that was a a lower number, or if we're still kind of in that that problem?
1: I'll start with that. Uh, I think that's a fascinating concept what Apollo said and I think he's exactly right um, we have gotten better with recovery strategies pre-activation stress we are improving but these athletes these elite athletes I was talking about it last night um, they truly have a rage of mastery and they're very consistent so believe it or not like you know Aaron down a prime example you know probably one of the strongest people on the planet he could pick me up and throw me 15 yards if he wanted to with one arm you know there's times when he comes to me and says Reggie I'm not strong enough and i laugh i'm like not strong enough i mean you can go in there and bench press 600 pounds right now in your sleep but these guys they you really have to rein them in they did the elite athlete is special for a reason we talk about kobe bryant and how he wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and, and shoot a thousand basketballs he didn't enjoy doing that he it was him how he was built and so you look at the apology you hear that it's, it's fascinating. It's really important for us as clinicians that we have to really educate these athletes and protect them from themselves. Because a lot of them do, probably do realistically overtrain.
0: And I know the, the professional athlete mentality sometimes. You tell them this is good for you. And then you look and they're doing it consistently. I shared this story earlier. I don't know if it's apocryphal. But Ray Lewis, when he was a, a rookie for the Ravens and in training camp, some coach told him, you need to be on your toes more. And he, he walked and spent the next three days standing only on his toes. And, and at the end of it, apparently, couldn't walk. And his coaches were like, you can't do anything out there. W- what did you do? And he was like, well, you told me I need to do my toes more. So I was on my toes for three straight days. Uh, and he had to take a couple of days off. Um, and uh, yeah, I imagine that for a lot of athletes, you're, you're also, tr- this is good for you. And then also, don't do this all the time. <laughs> do this for a very specific amount of time that's helpful. And then go back to normal things. With, with food, it's about timing,
3: right? So, you know, food should be pleasurable, right? And I don't want to take creme brulee away from anyone. You can eat dairy, you can eat fat, you can eat carbohydrates, when you do it is very crucial. So we always tell, you know, our our teams, you know, if you love ice cream, eat eat some, that's your fat and your dairy, but do it at 2 in the afternoon after your skating practice, right? don't do it at night before you go to bed because your body's gonna metabolize it in a much different way. So especially in season, take your pleasure, right? But look at the time that you're doing it and the volume per day as your body metabolizes it. So we work one-on-one with the athlete to be, be, because life should be pleasurable, it should be joyful. If you make it all about the training or the food or the sleep to the exclusion of anything else, then your life balance is wrong. So that's where we come in almost in a life coaching sense. Sure, we're chefs, yes, culinarians, and we have a we have a whole program. But that's why our the people who are on the front line serving the teams all are engaged in wellness training and and other aspects of, of communication and hospitality so that we're engaged with the athlete not forgetting that there are human beings who are also your pleasure seekers that is how we are built education though then becomes the key where and when
2: well we always say a couple things is one uh, that's why this conversation is great is food and sleep are cyclically related right because to Andrew's point like when you eat your food is going to affect your sleep how much you sleep is going to affect your hormone releases and your food decisions so it very much a cycle. The other thing we say is sleep is a 24-hour activity, right? Same idea. It's like everything you're doing at night is affected by what you do at day. And that timing matters in your circadian rhythm when your best time to work out, when your best time to have those things. And I always go to the same place. Like it's not to say no, you can't do it. Understand if you're going to do it, when to do it, how much, and what the effect's going to be. And people see that, you know. And, And the other piece about the interrelationship, and I do think that's where I've seen the biggest change in six years of being involved with teams in sport, is roles like Reggie's, because Reggie oversees that whole, all those elements. We're talking about sleep, we're talking about dietitians, we're talking about strength training. Having organizations, and not all there are this way, like the Rams, where they have somebody who's looking at that holistically because they get the interrelation, where previously you may have seen separations between that. That's extremely important, because you know what? the athlete has to deal with it holistically. So having that approach um, that's kind of innovative is super unique because then you do connect with the athlete and they do adopt these things.
0: I would imagine, Andrew, Patrick, you both have conversations with other teams in other leagues or, or other franchises in the NFL and, and are sometimes kind of appalled at how little they actually seem to be thinking about the things that you're telling them that you can do for them.
3: Not, yeah, not to name names, but it's, it's, it's really name shocking names. to yeah. us as we've gone out of our market, you know, we're, we, we're, we're creating a business. I mean, in full transparency, right? It's a business for us. Um, and it's fun and it's great. And we think we're doing something in, you know, in a world that my partner and I, we love sports. I mean, we're just sports geeks. So like this is, this is a dream come true for us. Um, but we had to perf- perfect the model in Minnesota, which is where we live. And, and we've done that effectively. And even in our own backyard, with some of the teams that we don't service, they've now approached us with sort of that holy cow thing because they've heard from their colleagues who own and run teams right across town in a different sport um, about what we're doing. Um, the, the The really scary thing uh, for me is with the undervaluing of, of the players is that it's not done on purpose. But, you know, you see, you, I'll, I'll just say, ownership of teams comes, comes to a point where they look at this big number of their total salary for their players. That is, that is their bread and butter, right? That's their largest investment is in their players. And, you're, you know, if you're always losing, the, you, the, the value of your franchise goes down. Coaches are wrote. I mean, you know, the cycle of losing, in prof, especially in professional sports, also in college sports, is, is not good. Right? I mean, it just, it, it, it doesn't work for anyone. So when we tell them that there's an actual tactical solution that they're not using, they're usually pretty embarrassed. And it takes us a couple of tries to get in there. But you'd be amazed at how many teams we visit out of state and have recently where it's still the styrofoam boxes that are out there. And the names would astound you. Um, and you know, once we get in there and tell them sort of what we do and what the trade-off is, um, they're usually pretty eager to have a second and third conversation with us. Yeah.
0: So much of this feels like Moneyball to me, right? Just just twenty sure. years later in a different category, but that was a front office optimization revolution. And as that was happening, there was a lot of pushback from traditionalists inside teams and leagues and all that. Um, Are are we still at that point where there's a lot of pushback internally? Or do you think we're past that here where everybody is starting to get around to that idea? Well,
2: I do sit in a unique chair in the sense that we work directly with all 32 teams in the league on the football ops side with the athletic training groups. We also have conversations across English Premier League teams, you know, the Lakers, whatever. Everybody knows sleep's important, like in my space. Everybody does. We do our best, when I call it, when those teams are at version 2.0 of this, right? Because they've done the things, they've not stuck with the education, they've tried some other products to try to do it, they've gone through that and then they realize where we can help, right? And there is, I mean, you said it earlier, like within the NFL, it's a copycat leak. As soon as somebody starts doing it and they see it, it doesn't take years. It takes months before it's across everything. So it's there. But like with anything, there's a different level of philosophy and a different level of approach that does stick. And, you know, as a league partner, we started out with two teams that we partnered with, the Vikings and the Cowboys. And then we could sit back because we did have a relationship with all 32 teams. And we could see, okay, who are the organizations who are the innovators in the forefront of this? And we ended up with the Rams, for a reason, right? And, and I'm not just saying it here, because we ended up there because Reggie Scott and his team was already doing this before they were you know, a marketing partner of ours. And you could see it from the outside, like they are doing the things to go to the next level. They've been through that initial curve, they understand to have it stick with the athlete. So yes, it's everywhere, but like anything, there are different levels and there's always somebody who's learning on the forefront that's going to do it better.
1: Yeah, and I think I would add, if you go back, I think you, you nailed it in terms of front office analytics and that push, probably about 2010, 2011, when you really start seeing what we call this high-performance model, change. And and what changed? Number one was, was data, right? People started realizing if we can capture data, we can make actionable change. And then number two is the environment change. I think coming up in this world, an athlete coming through the gauntlet of, call it performance, sports medicine, all these different entities, these subspecialty groups, uh, it, it wasn't a great environment when everybody was in various silos, and what I mean by that is obviously the strength and conditioning coach is saying one thing, sports medicine department saying another, the dietician saying another thing. And then we started realizing, hey, if we all can collaborate and be one, what I call one band, one sound, uh, where we can have an athlete-centric model, right, athlete-centric, the whole environment's about the athlete, and we're all talking the same language what kind of environment would that be for the athlete to go through? Number one, it's gonna be a more joyful environment uh, and it's gonna create a better environment for optimal, optimal success performance. And so when you start seeing that, it start exactly, it just caught fire. And you know, it's funny, there's still not like a lot of level one research on these modelings, I, it's one of my bread and butters with PFAS if we're trying to look at this model versus the traditional model to see if it really works. But if you talk to any athlete, anecdotally, if they're in that environment versus a siloed environment, uh, it's not even close and so I think that adoption has changed in probably the last 10 to 15 years and we've been really fortunate to, to jump on board early. And, and, and that's culture, right? I mean both
3: small c within a team But Big C, we, we forget that we're living in cultures, right? And it's different in Los Angeles than it is in Minnesota than it is in New York City, right? And different teams draw on different groups of athletes. How we talk to our hockey players is slightly different than how we talk to our basketball players or some of the other... Uh, uh, teams that we're talking in to right way. now. Yeah,
0: give us an example.
3: Uh, just because of cultural habits, I mean, we, we have a lot more Eastern European and, and Russian players in the NHL than we do playing in the National Football League. And so, when, when you get a young Czech player who's been in a hockey system in Czechoslovakia and is a, is a is a rocket ship all star, can't miss player, and he comes over, he's not been in the American. Uh, culture of sports where he's been coddled since he was you know maybe before high school right in some cases where he's told he's the best and his decision-making walks on water so we we have a different we we have different athlete models and then we actually have different cultures right Um, one of the the parallels that I draw for people that sometimes is a little easier to explain is that when I go to a I I go to a Western and an Eastern doctor and and my 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 regular doctor says, what hurts, right? My, my Western medical practitioners, all, the first two questions they ask, how are you sleeping, what are you eating, right? And they, they start there. And so we preach that to our athletes. We're not worried about what they do on the field. There's other people to help them with that. I don't know how to do some of the stuff that the coaches do and that Reggie does, but I do know how to optimize diet for teams and players, still give them pleasure, and increase performance, and and optimize that, that availability that we're talking about, not just at game time, but in recovery from injury and off season as well.
0: How do you guys think about the way that this, this conversation affects fans? The, the biggest Dallas Mavericks fan wants the Dallas Mavericks to win, obviously. But if she goes to the game tomorrow night and... Luka Doncic isn't playing, and Kyrie Irving isn't playing because of load management, she might feel a different kind of way. I'm curious how you guys think about that, that idea, that there, there's also a different part of this equation. It's, it's fans. And while largely, I think you guys would all be aligned, there are definitely instances, I think, where what the fan wants, I think, is butting up against a lot of the things that you guys are talking about. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I mean, especially for us and NFL, I think over the last five to 10 years fantasy has really driven, mm-hmm. <laughs> driven, driven yep. out in my world. I mean, that's why I'm not only social media, I don't want to get yelled at when I, the player doesn't <laughs> play and it's Reggie's fault um, that they lost their fantasy league. So uh, I, I, I try to stay away from that. But to answer your question, yeah, it, it, it's for the fans' perspective, I think. Going back to the you know the fantasy footballs of the world stuff like that, it is really you know it's it's important and and it's and I think it's also um, very intriguing for the fan. Um, they you know they love they love the data they're seeing how fast these guys are running on the on game day and stuff like that. Um, are they a little upset for some of the load management things that we do? I'm sure they are, but at the end of the day, it, it's I think it's a very intriguing as, aspect to it, and I think it's good because I think it's it's bringing performance to the forefront, Not just the tactical side of things, and and I think once again when you get it to the fan, it does get to the consumer, and I think we do adopt these these things in terms of wellness and things like that. So I think that's really cool. So, um, but it, it, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty big deal to, to fans for sure.
2: And I think it gives you the short you know the short-term view versus the long-term view, right? Now you may not see them play tomorrow night uh, in Dallas, but you want that team to win, and also I mean. It's true at the NFL, it's true at the NBA, you know, NBA has been this way longer. It's like, it's player driven, right? And that's what my, one of the biggest changes I've seen in the NFL the last five years, is really the players have had, you know, more of a voice. And you want your player to play longer, right? You want, it's good for the league, it's good for the player, that your your career lasts longer and they can do so. You know, yes, there's a balance, like, I want to go see them play. but. Damn, as a person that's lived in Minnesota for a while, I'd love my team to win a championship. Like I could miss somebody playing a game if they actually brought a championship to Minneapolis. That would be awesome, right? And and or you know, I fall in love with that player. I want to follow them. Like, you know, I'm not wanna flip them every three years because there's somebody new. I want to see that player be successful. So short term there's some things, but long term I think it's good for the sport. It's the it's the baseball pitch count analogy,
3: right? I mean it's it it it's really, really tough you know, one of the things that we preach to people is that we may be able to give a a pitcher, you know, uh, ten ten more balls a game if they're more flexible, if they're less prone to injury, if they eat more kelp, right? Um, And I I think that one of the things that's interesting is that generationally, you know, I have a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old, they do not... When I tell them that there were day baseball games during the week, they laugh at me, right? But that's, that's how I grew up. I grew up in an era of sport. I'm 61. I grew up in an era where there weren't as many specialized players in every sport. You didn't have to have three all-stars on a basketball team to guarantee an NBA championship because there were five all-stars. Everyone who started on those 12 teams. When I was a kid, you know, everyone coming into town could beat you on that on, on any given night. Now it's spread out, but the competition is increasing. You said something very interesting, I think, Pat, at the beginning about this. W- when someone's in college, it's not just who you're lining up against. It speaks to what you were saying. When you're young, you're stronger, your recovery time, you feel more invincible. You feel like you don't need to work as hard to attain the same goals. As players age, that really happens, and that drives that pitch count money ball aspect to it that I think today's athlete and today's fan at least the young fans who live in my house that I watch sports with uh weeknights and weekends they understand it better I I was the fan who when that started happening was like what do you mean he's not pitching the whole game everyone everyone's Christy Mathewson but they're not
0: I also think there's a, there's an opportunity just to, to, to bring some of these topics to fans in a way that maybe didn't exist before. The, well, well, I mean, and we talked about this the, the
3: other day on the phone, but I just want to throw it out there from a food standpoint, from a sleep standpoint. There, there was a, a point in time where we all looked at athletes and said, we can't do that. And then we wanted to wear their shoes and wear their jerseys and we wanted to work out with the same equipment and do the same balls. Then it became, let's do their exercise routines, right, and uh, now uh, people are, you know, you want to be like X, then sleep and eat like them too, and I think Tom, the, the public side of the Tom Brady diet chef thing, a lot of people laughed 15 years ago when Tom, you know, that they ha- he had a, sh- a private chef. And his chef had a book and it had a lot of seaweed. And I hate to keep hyping on seaweed. It's just it it's the ultimate food for professional athletes in in my opinion. And you don't need to take it in pill form. It's better to digest it. Um it, 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 people laughed at it. And now no one is laughing. You know, you wanna you wanna win a Super Bowl when you're 43? and play like he played well into his 40s. Um, I'm not saying that's available for every athlete. There there are probably some genetics at play there and some other gifts, but how you take care of your body is vital to long-term success in any league.
2: well, and it's applicable to all of us. The two things everybody in this room does is we all sleep and we all eat, right? And I started by saying full potential. Like, that's what we do with athletes. We help them understand to reach their full potential. Our piece is sleep, you know, there's diet you know, die apart to it, Reggie takes it all together, but it's full potential. So, you know, yes, you're not going to be Aaron Donald, all right? I'm not going to break it to you. You're not going to be Cooper Cup. But if you understand the level that they're doing to reach their full potential, whatever that is you're doing, and it's not going to be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, but as somebody who coaches their kid's team, as somebody who wants to have energy to do stuff as their age. like There are things that you can do that we're pushing on this level of innovation on professional athletes because it's such an extreme in stress on it. But the great thing is it's applicable to everybody, right?
1: I'm darn sure I'm going to brush my teeth with seaweed now. So me, Andrew.
2: Uh, we're going to do
0: some questions now. Uh, there's about 15 minutes left, it looks like. So if folks, have them uh, line up at the uh, at the microphone and uh, and yeah, fire away.
1: It's, it's kind of I guess uh, two quick questions in the for Mr. Scott. Uh, first one is you just give me you know would you consider like the th- the three biggest myths that you think t- to optimization uh, you know something that's kind of been promoted in the media that you think is really kind of patently false and the, and the second one is actually i'm an anesthesiologist by trade so i'd like to to know it for like in a, a two-week if a two-week window um preoperatively would you which strategies you think would be most effective for a patient to do to you know to prepare themselves for a uh, surgery for surgery wow that's a great question myth wise There's so many myths out there. You know, I think what you got to be careful with is really at the end of the day, we live in a practice-based evidence world more than evidence-based practice. We're on the cutting edge, and so you just can't. um, A lot of times we don't have level one evidence for a lot of the modalities we use for recovery. So probably the biggest myth is if you ever get a modality that they say, hey, it's going to, uh, you know, change your coverage 60, 70 percent. If you, you know, I'll, we use red light therapy, but red light therapy or pneumatic compression, all these modalities. I always would stop and tell our players, slow down. Let's look at this product. Let's figure what you know what's best out there first, um, and really see if it works. Um, you know, I go back to, let's work on your natural activities of daily living first before we go into that. So when I think of NIST, the first thing that came to my mind was just various new modalities that keep coming out. And so as you, as consumers, and we all are, make sure we're we're living on that world. From a, a, you know, two-week or pre-op standpoint before we do surgery with with our guys, um, you know, Probably the biggest thing we do is we do prep them, obviously, orthopedically for anything that might happen in terms of that standpoint. But in terms of wellness, really haven't thought about that space much. Um, you know, We try to keep them in a good rhythm regardless of if it's pre-op or not, um, but I really haven't looked at any strategies on that. You know, our, you know hydration, good sleep, I think the better you go into the surgery, the better you come out. But really haven't delved into that two-week period, and it'd be interesting to kind of look at that a little bit more. Just haven't talked in that space yet, though.
4: Hello, how are you? My name is Brynn. I am a mindset uh, coach for athletes and I know you guys are talking about sleep and that is absolutely important and food. Reggie, my question is for you. Um, When we're talking about injury, we're talking about performance. I know the NFL and a lot of the professional leagues are very proactive about mental health. Yes. Well, sorry, they're reactive about mental health, I'm sorry, <laughs> I meant to say. So, And I, I realized you're being on the cutting edge, so I was curious what you as an organization are doing to be proactive because what I do is, and I'm not pitching you, I would like to take you to lunch. I live in Los Angeles, so I have so many questions for you. So if you're ever available for that, let me know. But. Um, Honestly, like what what I've seen is that we're always like, oh, he's got a problem. Let's talk to him. You know, he did something bad. You know, he had sure. an off-the-field incident. Sure. But what are we doing to proactively give them tools so that we don't get to that point?
1: Yeah, that's a great great question. Uh, with the Rams, and I even go, I'll go. i start with the NFL and kind of go global and come back down. With the NFL, um, probably the last four or five years, um, you know, we hired Inyaka, in the NFL league office that, that works all of our mental health and wellness programming. Um, a mental health clinician is, you know, mand- mandatory for all 32, which I think is a great movement. Um, and we're, we're lucky to have a very good mental health clinician with our team. So, you know, the movement is coming over the last five to six years. With the Rams, um, we, we really adopted it. I would probably say eight or nine years ago. When we same thing, when you know, one of our mantras is mind, body, and spirit. And I think the most important thing is the mind and the spirit over the body. Um, we really adopted it. And how and to answer your question proactively, when you got 90 guys, I think the biggest pe- the biggest thing that people don't think about when it comes to sports, especially in our world, is how do you do something, implement something with 90 guys, 60 guys, basketball's a little bit easier. And I always say this, and this is this is really important. Um, implementation is the graveyard to great ideas, right? You've got to know how to implement it. And, and when it comes to mental health clinician and being proactive, how do you implement that to the masses? How do you touch all your athletes to be proactive that when things come, you've got to be crisis management, you've got to be ready how we do that. And what we did, and my approach to that is, I look at it as our mental health clinician is educating what I call the clinicians. Uh, Our touch points, strength and conditioning, equipment managers, sports medicine, all these people that touch the player every day. When you're dealing with that player, do you have a mental health mindset to them? Now we're not mental health clinicians, we're not trying to be experts, but our mental health clinician sits down with us and says, when you're dealing with this athlete, do you have that mindset? And to me, how we do that with the Rams is the best way probably to implement a culture, once again, an environment that creates the best opportunity that I'm trying to help this person more than just because they're coming here lifting weights. What am I doing from a mental mindset prep standpoint if something as simple as organic as a conversation saying, man, what a stressful day I had at home. You know, I got no sleep last night because I got a two-month two two, two month, uh, newborn. OK, keep lifting those weights. No, stop. And talk to them about that. That's implementation, right? That, that people think it's some strategy. It's nothing bigger than that. And but it takes the right people in the right position to do that. So that's how we implement it. Very hard than you think in terms of being being proactive. Can I can
3: I take a little swing at that? Because yeah. I, I, I think Reggie brought up something really important. And and I'm I'm not picking on you, but you you the food has an incredible impact on mind and spirit. And there's actually a, a, well, two things really. Um, we believe very strongly in an in, in implementation model that I've called co-regulation before oper- operationalization, right? So if I come in right away and tell you here's what we're doing before I actually talk to you and get you to, to be enrolled, I think that's what you were talking about, about it's the graveyard, mm-hmm. right, of, of great ideas. Um, So we actually take that co-regulation really, really seriously, right? So we have people on our teams that are talking to the players uh, all the time. And we have larger teams going into some of our football meetings now because those are what the football teams are saying is, we we need more people, so we got it because you got more people. and then the other aspect of that really is is hospitality. So we deal with that a lot, especially the child model. And people, when they hear the word mental health, they think about the big problems, right? But it's it's not. There are obviously the same percentage out there as percentage on the sports teams, maybe a little higher because you know when you're in the public eye, you tend to have other mental health issues, imposter syndrome, other things uh, that are. Um, are in greater percentage on people in the public eye. But we use hospitality tools that we learned as chefs in restaurants, and it's been really amazing what that's done with teams. So when I, we also feed families, so we get to know the families on game days, but we started sending food home with the players or just sending them to their homes and if someone has a newborn or a young baby and they're just starting on soft food, we'll make baby food and send it home. We'll send boxes for mom, right? We'll do things so that the player is not worrying about what's going on at home and home is not texting them all the time saying, Things are breaking down over here. I need you to call me and just talk me off the ledge. I mean, that's what my wife did 20 years ago, and I've lived that. So I know, I know what that's like. And so we employ a lot of hospitality tools to help
2: bridge that gap, right? Well, I do think it's holistic. and you know, I'm not just jumping in, jumping to say sleep, but it's—I said it's cyclical, right? Right? And, and the athlete does a lot of time have a partner at home, and right. And if it just—it's an element that, that snowballs it in terms of like if you're not getting sleep, they're not getting sleep. You know, you need both of things because that's your support system as well. Like right in and that. And again, it's it's an element that helps. It needs a broader approach, but you do have to. We are, you know, we're a system here, and you have to treat the whole system. To help them be prepared to do that and by the way
3: do you, do you know I and mean, we have a little experience with this the team that we have the least issues on anything with I mean anything the links because the women understand intrinsically <laughs> how valuable it is yes there is something about the male ego you talk about mental health I'll just throw it out there there is something about the male ego, and I know, because I'm one, that says, you know something? I got this, <laughs> when they don't got this. Mm-hmm. We have more... Every single member of the Lynx has come to us and says, I don't know how to do X, can you help me with Y? Every single one. Every single one. Doesn't happen with any other team.
5: Hi, my name's Stephanie Stradley. I've been uh, looking at competitive edges in sports and writing about them since 2006 and specifically a lot of focus on the NFL and the Houston Texans in particular. Uh, They've been very focused on nutrition from the beginning of the franchise and actually um, talking about that with the fan base. Uh, Me personally, J.J. Watt has changed my life just watching how he handled his business and, and with sleep and the way he ate and how he was intentional about it. And I know what to do. I have to say, during South By, it's been very difficult to sleep due to just practical issues. I've stayed three different places. None of those places had proper blackout curtains. And just as a practical thing for, like, what I do at my house, it's really hard to find blackout curtains that actually blackout light. And then a second thing is there's increased sky glow. These kinds of lights are not really great for you at night. Now, I've been able to change the lighting inside my house, but I can't control what neighbors do, and that's something that affects sleep. And one of the different things that we've been talking about at South By is kind of universal access, that whether you're a player or whatever your role is, can we make things more welcoming and happier for everyone? And, you know, J.J. Watt had some significant injuries in his life and you just hear the players talk about some days it's really hard to physically get out of bed. And we experience that sometimes when we're caregiving and people are having a hard time getting out of their bed. What, What things are in the future of just the practical ways of, do you have something to help you get out of bed? Can you buy outdoor lighting that doesn't look like a Walmart parking lot? I mean, no offense to Walmart, but... You know, because there's people that are trying to get lighting down, lighting appropriate, lighting that, like, I know that there's a lot of research on lighting and how it affects people and sleep, and it's bad for, you know, uh, animals and, you know, birds flying over and migrating. What practical things do you make? Because, like, a lot of players are moving into some apartment that doesn't have any blinds. Mm -hmm. So how do you get the kind of enriching sleep that's restorative in a competitive uh you know, like a competitive advantage when there's just not products out there.
2: Yeah, well I think the great thing is there's been a societal change on how we approach sleep, right? I'm old enough to know that it was a huge badge of honor to say I got 4, four hours of sleep a yeah. night and I bra- you know, somebody would brag on that, right? And now we'd say, okay, that's equivalent of being drunk. And smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, long term. So I think the great thing, optimism-wise, is people. It's a mindset, and if you don't have the mindset, you're not going to convince everybody. And some of those things are going to change faster than other. I mean, sleep is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Like I took a picture. I was walking through my Whole Foods not long ago, and there was like three shelves full of sleep aid products. Right. the The, the problem is, is actually there's not. It isn't. There's a, not enough things. People are not focused on the right things. Right. And you know, you're going to have times, it's, I equate sleep to like working out. Like one great sleep isn't going to make you great. One poor sleep's not going to make you great. I'm not sleeping super well here, but I'm going to get home and my longitudinal approach to sleep is going to help. So my take is in the situation, make sure you understand it and do what you can control. Yeah.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. We'll do one more. Uh, we're also going to move next door after this, so if you've got other questions, uh, okay, you can great. ask Okay, this, yeah. this has
4: been a wonderful breakout. Thank you. Um, two things. Uh, Andrew, I after this, I have a really nice story about your dad I'd love to share with you, mm-hmm. Bob. And um, secondly, um, curious to you guys about evangelizing the message in any work that you do with youth organizations. It might seem a little easier you might not have to fly in someone's mom to to build so i'm just curious about i know you're in the professional leagues i know they have partnerships with you know youth organizations but specifically for some of the sleep and the food that you guys do I'm curious if you are involved with any youth organizations or have thought through um, kind of building this framework. As a mom, I have a 10-year-old son who's a an athlete, and I'm always trying to get him to sleep and eat better. So,
2: well, I think there's one great shared organization we both work with, which is Gen Youth through the NFL. Like, and again, you use this platform to have people understand and these kids idolize these athletes so how are you showing the great things they're doing if those kid wants to get there again, the majority of those kids aren't going to get there but those those habits they adopt by playing sport and learning that are going to benefit them throughout life so like you know we do partner with gen youth which is highly involved with the NFL and they do both from a you know fuel up play 60 to a sleep side of it so we really use that platform to make sure it happens we, uh, it goes back
3: to co-regulation before opera, oper- why can't I say that word? <laughs> um, tough
0: but tough tough word,
3: the, yeah. the, the, the biggest thing, change that I've seen over the last generation is food television. So I, I while I have this catering company that, you know, our clients are professional sports teams, um, I'm also, I have a day job where I make television. And um, what I've seen with young people is that everyone wants to play quick fire challenge. Everyone wants to eat a worm because they've seen bizarre foods. Everybody wants to do the things that my other colleagues that I was talking with on panels the last two days, that we're doing. And so young people are hearing messages. My kid, right, is way more savvy about food at age, well, the two of them, at 17 and 18, than any other generation of young people in the history of the world and so they understand because they're hearing stuff about vegetables all the time. Now has that translated yet into school nutrition programs that are federally and state funded? Slowly because there's a lot of great organizations out there and I was on those panels on Friday, right? So it's coming, it's coming. And I would just tell you this, you're looking at the result of your experience, the next wave, that next generation gen alpha or whatever they're calling it now they're going to eat better than any other generation ever out there they know the value of a sweet potato
2: yep. i didn't have models like lebron james who prioritizes sleep right again and i own. You know, there's a whole different set of kids that aren't even in Lev John Jones' world, but, like, those people pay attention to that, and they see what they're doing, and that is probably one of the biggest influences they can have. Like our
3: 17-year-old physically calls him out. When he won't get out of bed, he says, and he'll name his two or three favorite athletes on the Vikings who have a sleep number bed and, uh, and, and actually says, I need my sleep. I mean, that's, that's
0: crazy. Good. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you uh, very much for joining us, and thank you guys for, for hanging out.